Hello, Bethel fandom. God, it's been like fucking forever, hasn't it? Uh, I am your host, Dynamic Symmetry. Welcome to Keep Singing, a Bethel and Beth Green and Daryl Dixon podcast. Like I said, I'm Dynamic Symmetry uh, on Tumblr and also Twitter and really just about everywhere. But my friends call me Sunny and you are all my friends. So yeah, it's been forever. I'm sorry. I really miss doing this. Hopefully now that the semester is over, I'll be able to get back to it a little more regularly. That's one of the reasons why I haven't been around. I'm a college instructor. The end of the semester happened. And that is, if you go to college, yeah, that's a crazy time. If you are a college instructor, you basically want to kill yourself. But it's over. And I survived. And I'm okay. And I'm waltzing into a very wet, cold summer here in Maryland. But yeah, we're getting back to it. This is exciting. One of the things that's even more exciting about this episode is that I got a chance to actually do a co-hosting thing, or at least a conversation, uh, with Molly, aka Beth Green's Girl Gang, on Tumblr. And we are talking all about Daryl Dixon's sexuality and how it relates to his relationship with Beth Green. Because both of us headcanon him as asexual, whatever that ends up meaning to you personally, because there's lots of different ways in which somebody can identify as asexual. But there are all kinds of other things that go into that regarding his uh, sexuality, and that is primarily what we end up talking about. It was so much fun to do. It was a great conversation, and I'm really hoping that we get to do it again, because as you'll hear, there's a lot of stuff that we did not get a chance to touch on that we could talk about for like another hour. It ended up going for about an hour and 20 minutes, and then it ends up being more like an hour with me cutting out all of the awkward pauses. There actually weren't that many awkward pauses. So we have that coming up. The fic reading for this episode is going to be All of Me by Happy Dirty Cookie, which I absolutely love. It was actually inspired by a fic of mine, at least uh, partially which is And the Bright Star Falls Behind, which is my first attempt to write explicitly asexual Daryl who is not demisexual. Which, for those of you who don't know what that means, that's kind of how I headcanon him, where he really just is not interested in sex at all unless he has a strong emotional bond with somebody already, and he's never had a strong emotional bond with anybody the way he has one with Beth. So Beth... I mean, in my head is his first experience of any kind of sexual desire, or would be, you know. And I wanted to kind of get away from that and do something slightly different, so uh, I wrote And the Bright Star Falls Behind, and then it inspired this other fic, and it's just absolutely amazing, and I got to read it, and it's super great, and I really hope you guys like it. But before I get to that, I have some fic recs to do. Yay! I'm so happy I get to get back to these. Again, once again, once again, once again, if you listen to this and if you like it, please, please, please send me fic recs. Uh, primarily, I mean, send those to me on Tumblr. I think that's just partly it's easier for me to keep track of that. I'm fine with messaging. I'm fine with inbox. I'm always happy to talk to people pretty much in whatever format, provided that they're not being jerks. So, yeah, please, please send me stuff. I'm partly because I'm so, so super behind on my reading, although I'm hoping I'm going to be able to fix that some this summer. So I kind of sometimes depend on other people to tell me what I should be reading, and it's just so fucking pathetic. But it's true. So yes, let me get to these. To start with, I have Derailed by Punky Nemo, also known as the Vampire Cat. 
haven't read this, but uh, I've heard enough cool stuff about it that I really, really want to. And one of the things that's neat about it is that it's humor. It's like explicitly trying to be humor. And that's actually something I want to talk about in a future podcast. I devoted an entire episode to darkness and to, to really dark stuff and dark themes and heavy, heavy angst, because I think that that's important to write. I really like writing it, and I think it's an important component of how this fandom works. Partly because, you know, this ship is fucking depressing for a number of reasons. But humor is really important, too. And humor is actually something that I like to try to write. I'm not so sure how good I am at it. My humor, I think, tends to be extremely dry. But there's all kinds of ways to do humor. And I think that it's great when people try. Not least because I think it's actually a lot harder than angst. You know, there's that whole there's that whole kind of cliched saying where, uh, you know... I think it's something like dying is easy, comedy is hard. If you can be a successfully comedic actor, uh, you have to be a really good actor. I think more than if you do a lot of melodrama. And I think that the same is true of writing. If you want to be a good, if you want to do comedy well, you kind of have to be a good writer. So I think that it's great when people attempt to do it. This is supposedly funny. And I really want to read that because I think it's awesome that anybody tried to do it. And I know that Vampire Cat is absolutely great, and I am sure this is amazing. Uh, it's apparently kind of about in just an awkward disaster uh, and fluffy, and uh, one of the tags is lighthearted nonsense, which I think is great. Um, it's on both ff.net and AO3, so whichever is your poison, you can find it there. So there's that. Check that out. Somebody also wrecked Catch Me by Lemonstar, which is on ff.net, an AU, no zombies. The synopsis is Beth is a young single mother is trying to get her baking business off the ground. Oh god, that's awesome automatically. She works from home and is observant of those around her. She knows of the two men who live in the apartment across from her. One comes home late at night drunk and stumbling into walls and the other is quiet, hardly speaking at all. So, I mean, just, I guess, take some guesses about who those people are. I mean, just Beth baking I don't know why, but Beth Baking, the idea of that just automatically makes me so happy. I have not read this either. But yeah, I think that that's probably pretty awesome as well. So that's on FF.net, Lemon Star, Catch Me. And I have a couple of my own, actually, recs that I actually want to push. The first one is by Abelina on FF.net. Sorry, it's actually on AO3, called Lift Up Your Voice, Children Rejoice. It's one of the things that I absolutely love about it is is that it's Christmas. I, I don't know why I love Christmas fix, but I, I do. There's I just have this huge weakness for them. I, I love Christmas, so that's that's partly why. But this is a Christmas fic. It involves awkwardness, which is just automatically great. Also, it involves dancing, it involves some intense feelings. It involves music, It's and it's just cuddly and sweet and wonderful and emotional, and it's great. And the summary is there's no dog, no cars, no one returned to lay claim to the place, nothing to keep them from sticking around, so they do. And it's hard sometimes to look around this new home without thinking about the past. Uh, apparently it was inspired by a scene from the film version of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. And there's also some amazing artwork that goes with it from uh, Nikita Jobson, who is one of my favorite fan artists in this whole fandom. We're blessed with some amazing fan artists in general. Just some absolutely fantastic stuff. She's one of my very, very favorites. So check that out as well. And then there's also, and this is a little bit more of a recent fic, and it's actually, for a number of reasons, kind of become a little controversial. 
I haven't had a chance to read it in super depth. But one of the reasons why I really like it, like the concept of it, and why I like kind of what I've skimmed a little bit to get an idea of what I will be getting into when I actually get into reading it in some more depth, is that it's doing some similar stuff to what I've done with Pacify, although I think that this is getting a little more intense in some ways, where it's looking at sort of kinkiness and and kind of extreme elements of it as a way of getting into trauma and sort of addressing some serious personal psychological darkness. And I think that that's that's a fantastic idea. And I think it's a place that a lot of people don't really want to go in a lot of a lot of ways. So please be aware that that's going on in this. Uh, Negan's also involved. I think some people have problems with that. I totally understand. Myself, personally, I'm actually a little... I'm not sure what I think about one of the things that this is predicated on yet. It's an idea that I'm really interested in. It's an idea that I am, you know, interested in considering, but I'm not totally for it. I'm not totally against it, personally. But I think that this sounds really, really interesting. The title of the fic is Concrete Angel, and it's on AO3, and it's by Beth Green Warrior Princess. And the summary is, when Beth Green collapsed in that hallway, something inside all of them fell apart, too. They were all broken from the events of Grady Memorial Hospital. They'd done the worst kinds of things to stay alive, and they'd always been able to come back from it. But after losing Beth, that all changes. Daryl is a shell of his former self, speaking seldom, and everyone can see the light went out in his eyes the day her baby blues closed for good. Somehow Rick seemed affected worst of all. Guilt crippled and twisted him inside until he became something no one recognized, least of all himself. Then suddenly she's alive. Beth Green is back from the dead, and it seems like things might be looking up, but dying and coming back to life has a price. A price Daryl Dixon isn't sure he can pay, no matter how much he loves her. He turns to the only person he can trust, Rick. Can Rick help Daryl figure out how to give Beth what she so desperately needs to heal? So that's something else that you should know if you want to check this out. It's uh, not just Daryl and Beth, but it's also Daryl and Rick, and it's also Beth and Rick, and it's also Daryl, Beth, and Rick. And I know that that's completely not some, not some people's thing, and I, again, totally understand that. But personally, I mean, if you know me, you know that those are all pairings that I completely get behind and absolutely enjoy on just about every possible level. So there's also that going on. So yeah, there's this is, a, this is kind of a really intense fic in a lot of ways. Please take a look at the tags. Make sure that you're not walking into anything that might trigger you in a way that you can't handle. But I think that if there's stuff in here that you can handle, I think this is probably really worth checking out. So take a look at that. And then finally, I'm going to wreck myself. And here's something that you really should know if you're going to send in fic wrecks. And I've said this before, but I really want to emphasize it. I am 100% okay with you wrecking yourself. I'm almost like, please wreck yourself. Because you know what? Sometimes, especially if you're kind of a new author or if you're not as well known as others, you have to wreck yourself because other people won't necessarily do it for you. And I mean, that's not, I'm not necessarily blaming people for that. I just think that's kind of how things work. I mean, if you don't know about something, how are you going to wreck it? And I think that people calling attention to their own stuff is just kind of necessary sometimes. Uh, Again, you know, people who know me will know that I'm coming from uh, professional fiction backgrounds. I write books and short stories. And I'm a pretty small name writer right now. I'm not even really mid-list yet. And one of the things that I've discovered being kind of a smaller name writer is that you have to promote yourself. It feels really fucking awkward and kind of, but you have to do it because nobody really will do it for you. Uh, Even if you have relationships with publishers and they do some promotion, you have to do a huge amount of it yourself. It's just kind of how the business works. 
And fan fiction, although it's not a business in that way, I think works in some similar ways. You have to promote yourself. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think people feel kind of awkward about it. I think people feel like, you know, oh, this this makes me look conceited. I deal with that. I feel really awkward about blogging my own fic, but I also feel like, I mean, why not be proud of the stuff that I'm proud of in a public way? So it's something that I'm absolutely okay with. I will never turn down somebody wrecking themselves. I really encourage it. I think it's great. And that means occasionally I'll wreck myself. I mean, I read my own fucking fic, so I'm kind of already doing that. So yeah. What I am recommending is something that I actually wrote uh, not too long ago for Emergency Bethel Smut Weekend, and I'm not going to go into why that happened, but I wrote this for that weekend, and it's actually, it ended up being one of my favorite things that I've done. It's one of the things that came out of something unpleasant that I'm so happy about, because it, it, it really did end up being, so far, it's one of my favorite not just smut fix, but I really think there's some cool stuff going on in it with emotion and feelings and psychology. And it's uh, both on ff.net and AO3, and it's called And I'm Crashing Into You. And the summary is, when Beth came back alive, everything pretty was worn out of her. But that doesn't mean she doesn't miss it. It doesn't mean she doesn't miss what she's lost. And it doesn't mean she doesn't want Daryl to help her find it again. And it actually comes from a prompt that I got a hundred million years ago, which was basically, I want Beth to be trying on prom dresses and for her to get all emotional and for Daryl to be like, oh my god, you're so pretty, and then for sex to happen. And that's basically what happens. It's team defiance, team delusional, Beth survives Coda, she comes back. She's kind of changed in terms of her personality. She's a little harder, she's a little colder. She's gotten away from some of the things that we identify with Beth Green. And Daryl's actually moved kind of more in her direction. So they kind of meet each other in a place that I think is interesting and which I feel personally makes sense, given how their two characters might have changed. And it's so sweet. I really wanted to write something happy and sweet, and I did. And I love it. And if that's the kind of thing that you enjoy, please check it out. There's mirrors involved, if you like mirrors. I personally do. You can blame Vampire Cat for that in a number of ways, because her fic reflections is kind of what made me want to do this. And also, you know what? That's a wreck. Read that too. Moving on, I'm going to get into the conversation that I had with Molly, which again was fantastic. I really hope you guys enjoy it. So many interesting things came out of it. I'm fine rambling myself. That's something I never mind, but I really, really enjoy having a conversation with somebody. I enjoy the give and take. I enjoy the different perspectives. And I finally got to do that. And I've been wanting to do that since I started this thing six months ago. So again, I really hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you, like me, will be looking forward to seeing this happen again, because it almost certainly will. So here is Molly. Hi, I'm Molly, also Beth Green's Girl Gang on Tumblr. And so I guess before we jump into our discussion of Daryl's sexuality, I think it makes sense to talk a little about our own sexualities. And for me, that's a little bit of a question mark. Um, I've never been in a sexual relationship. I've never really experienced romantic attraction. So I do see myself on the asexual spectrum. Not sure exactly where. But that's sort of my background um, in terms of my own sexuality. Okay, cool. I Honestly, it's a little tough for me to talk about mine, too, just because my romantic experience is actually pretty limited as well. I think I've really only been in one other relationship besides my husband that I would consider sexual. 
And it was a long-distance relationship, so we didn't really get a whole lot of that. But my sexual experience is pretty much confined to men. I actually, no, that's actually not true. I have had another kind of relationship with a woman before. Uh, I identify as queer, but I think that I'm leaning heavily, more heavily toward men. And in fact, my uh, romantic slash sexual attraction kind of seems to lean toward the seriously gender normative, which to be honest, I'm a little embarrassed about. Like, I really like feminine women, and I really like masculine men. So, yeah. And I've pretty much, as far as I can tell, always been a kinky person in one form or another. At least in as much as, like, the stuff I really like is weird, and that's kind of always been the case. So, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I feel like, I also feel like maybe I should mention that I also feel like I'm more sexually attracted to men, although romantically attracted to women, probably. Um, just in the sense that I can actually talk to them. Um, but I think definitely in terms of, you know, my sexual imaginings, they've come, like, I haven't really thought about kinkiness until the last few years, and I've really gotten into reading and writing fan fiction. Um, but, like, my formative sort of sexual information came from books like Outlander. That was the first book that made me really want to write erotica. I actually haven't because- read it. Cool. I, I, well, I read it in like eighth grade, so it was a very formative time for me. But it was the first book I read where I felt like the sex was about character development more than it was about whatever sex is, tends to be about in romance novels. And so just the idea of having character development interacting with sex was just so interesting to me. And I think that's what is most important to me when I'm writing erotica is to have it always be a form of character development. Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of talked about that. I know I've ranted about it on Tumblr a huge amount. Like, it honestly, writing sex doesn't interest me at all, unless it's about psychology and character. And I actually think that it's really important, if you can if you can write it, not everybody can, not everybody's into it, but in terms of exploring a character, I think it's actually one of the most profound ways you can do that. Yeah, I absolutely agree, um, especially because, I mean, as we've talked about our own sort of sexual identities, I feel like sexual identity is so integral to just sort of being as a person and being in the world. And as we'll discuss with Daryl, I think that his sexual identity or the way that he sort of feels himself in the world has a lot to do with his comfort or discomfort with sex. And I think that having these scenes of intimacy, whether it's, you know, masturbatory or with another person, it really opens up these spaces where, you know, it's, an intimacy that you don't explore in everyday relationships or everyday conversations, which is what is usually represented in fiction. So yeah, I definitely agree that sex is a place to explore character that not enough people really understand, I think. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, I think with Daryl, it's incredibly important. And I think one of the reasons why it's really important is that with him, it opens up possibilities to do something that's really not conventional. Because Mm -hmm. I think that whatever you think his canon sexuality is, If you think it's not conventional, I think you're wrong. I just think you're flat out wrong. I don't know where you get the idea that his sexuality is normal, because nothing we've seen indicates that it is. Whatever you consider normal to be, and I think most people have kind of an idea of what normal is, even if it's not a really good or useful or helpful idea. So yeah, I think we can move on to some of the notes that you made. We kind of already got into it a little bit. Uh, I think, well, I think that given kind of what we just said, one of the places, one of the things that makes sense to talk about here is why we even interpret him this way. Because I think you can argue for other interpretations, maybe, but I think that we both feel pretty strongly about him being on the asexual spectrum. 
I really yeah. can't see him any other way. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, I mean, there are arguments that he is, you know, repressed homosexual, which I can understand where those arguments come from. But I do think that, at least for me, the evidence that we've seen on screen is that he doesn't, has never seemed to show sexual attraction to anyone or even sexual interest, sexual jealousy. Um, he's never, he's, as far as I can remember, he's the only male character who we've seen who has not been romantically or sexually att- attached to anyone at least explicitly, you know, like Rick gets all those sex scenes. Tyrese had Karen. Glenn has Maggie, obviously. And I think having Daryl as the black sheep in this sense, as well as all the other senses, makes a lot of sense to the fact that he's sort of the outsider in all these different ways. Yeah. And and I think that him, well, I think, first of all, that it's interesting how powers that be and the writers and Norman himself have, have explicitly recognized this. Like, they've said the term asexual. I think it was maybe Kirkman, and, you know, fuck Kirkman, but he was right about that. And I think that it's interesting that they're conscious of it, and I think that they're incorporating that into how they write him. This wasn't accidental, I think, at any point. I think they actually were always thinking about this. And the thing about that that's especially interesting to me is he's the kind of character in other respects, you know, kind of rough background, sort of a biker thing going on, He's the kind of character that on another show would actually be one of the most sexual characters. Mm-hmm. And instead, he's just, it's just completely absent. And I think yeah. that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially when, you know, contrasting him with his brother, um, like, I, don't, I haven't watched Merle's scenes enough, but like, as, as I understand him, he's a very sort of sexually posturing character. And whether that's because he is hypersexualized or he just wants to appear hypersexualized, I feel like that is part of, you know, the friction between the two brothers is the fact that you have Merle, who I definitely would, you know, headcanon as pressuring Daryl into sexual relationships or even taunting him for not wanting to be in sexual relationships. So I think that that, you know, that contrast would have had a lot of impact on Daryl growing up. Yeah, I mean, and I think especially in terms of expression of masculinity, because one of the things that we see uh, him kind of being really cruel about is Daryl's masculinity. And I mean, you re- you mostly see that in Chupacabra. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about that is that he's a hallucination in Chupacabra. He's not really there. He's the construction of Daryl's feelings and memories. He's basically Daryl talking to himself. So I think we're seeing, I think we could be seeing some real history of kind of abusive behavior in that respect. And I think we're seeing a lot of anxiety from Daryl about his own identity which i think is so damn interesting yeah absolutely especially because he's you know this is the first time he's been you know quote unquote alone in his entire life you know except for the time when merle left him but i assume that i mean i assume then he had a sort of relationship with his mother or he fell in with some sort of crowd but as we know with daryl is that he is you know he's an indoor cat he is a follow he's part of the wolf pack whatever he's a follower and when this i think chupacabra was the first time we ever saw him really alone even though he does seem to identify as a loner he's always a loner within a group and the fact that during chupacabra is when you know, he hallucinates him being with someone, I think is very important in the sense that, you know, he in this moment of extreme vulnerability, he's still even though it's an abusive relationship that he imagines himself in, he still imagines himself into being not alone. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, it's interesting how there's also some real desperation in that scene. There's so much anger. There's a lot of resentment. But yeah, like you say, he's really, 
I really is desperate to not be alone. And I, I think that's interesting in terms of his friendships. I think that's interesting in terms of his familiar relationships. And I think it's also really interesting in terms of potential sexuality slash romance because then you have the latter half of season four where he is alone except for Beth. That is like his only other companion. And I don't think that we've really ever seen that at any other point in the show. I mean, yes, he goes out on runs with one other person or whatever, but in terms of long periods of time, this is the first time he's been alone with one other person pretty much in the entire show. And watching him react to that and work through it, especially if you ship it, is so, so fascinating. And I think also the fact that the last person he was ever alone with was Merle. Um, mm-hmm. And having that contrast between, you know, him, expe- what, ex- him his, expect- his expectations of what it is to be alone with someone are completely undermined with Beth, partly because of who he perceives her to be and also who he's used to being when he's alone with someone. Yeah, and you, you, I mean, you have a situation where it's emotionally supportive. I mean, it's, it's, it's angry and still, but... I think one of the things that I've I've talked about a little before when I've done some meta about those scenes is that although she's angry and although she's really pushing him, it's not violent and it's not it's not aggressive in a painful way. And I think that he's completely unused to dealing with that kind of aggression, the kind of aggression that's like, no, I'm not I'm not letting you shut me out. I'm not letting you pull away, but I'm also not going to hurt you. And I think that's probably completely alien to him. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that that lack of the lack of violence in their relationship is really interesting, especially considering the sort of physical abuse that he gives to her, which is not it maybe wouldn't be considered physical abuse, but the, you know, grabbing her wrist, pulling her outside and this way that he only knows how to react to aggression, even if it's sort of. I wouldn't call it a friendly aggression, but a empathetic re- aggression. He the only way he knows how to respond to that is through violence, basically, whether it's emotional or physical. But it, I do think it is interesting that, well, not interesting. I think it's important that he never physically strikes her. He is physically aggressive with her, but he never resorts to what he probably saw growing up. He definitely saw growing up. Yeah, he's he's verbally really cruel. And I think he's just about as cruel as he can figure out how to be because he brings up her suicide attempt. And I think he knows that that's one of her most, it's still a really wounded point in her life. But yeah, he never, he's, he's, a, he's physically aggressive and violent in the sense that he manhandles her, but he never, ever hits her. And I think that you see this moment where he realizes what he's been doing and he's absolutely horrified. Yeah. And this, oh, the guy, that made myself so sad. <laughs> that, was, that was just so heartbreaking. I mean, I love those scenes because they're so revealing of character, but God, parts of them are so hard to watch. And I think it's because you're seeing so much history of relationships there, and it's all just awful. It's all bad. I think one of the reasons why he gets violent is because he's trying to drag things back into something he understands. Mm-hmm. Because he's so out of his comfort zone when you're dealing with forceful emotion that's not violent. I don't think he has any idea how to speak that language. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the friction that happens between them and inmates and still is due to the fact that they're coming from such different worlds and such different backgrounds because you have Beth who's so used to emotional family and support and you have Daryl who's so used to the exact opposite and what they expect and need from each other is sort of the exact opposite of what they've experienced. And so they have to find a way to come together in this 
you know, I don't, I can't figure, I can't imagine another way that it could have happened. But I think that their differing circumstances, the fact that they really did not understand where the other was coming from, created a lot of that friction. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I think it's canon, because I, yeah, I can't figure out how else I would write that if I was going to try and write that in character. And I think that there's so much attention and care on the part of the writers to set this up and that they do reveal so much about these two characters in relation to each other. I mean, I think, again, this is kind of where you get to the idea of whether you think this is actually potentially a sexual relationship or whether you think it's confined to romance. But I think that it's so emotionally intense at that point that I have no idea how else to read it personally. And yes, I'm biased anyway, but I really... Like I've said before, before I was actually interested in this as something that I wanted to happen, I was seeing it this way. And in fact, I was kind of like, oh God, please don't, because I didn't really want to see him with anybody, because I didn't think it was part of his character. But I have no idea how else to read that development between the two characters, and I, you see it beginning, I think, in 30 Days Without an Accident. And it's really clear. Yeah, and I actually, as I was waking up this morning, I was thinking about that moment in 30 Days Without Accident when you know, she's hugging him and she pulls up and looks at him and just the way that their gazes seem to like, he, she looks at his face and she looks down and he looks at her face and then he looks away. And just the way that those gazes work with each other, like I can just imagine the direction wanting to make it awkward, wanting to make it seem like they're just passing, like, you know, passing each other in the night. But it's so meaningful the way that they keep missing each other's gazes and the way that she's positioned sort of still wrapped around him until she realizes that maybe this isn't something he's comfortable with or that maybe she's been holding on too long. And she pulls away and she pulls up her sweater. And just the direction of that scene in particular, I think, sets up... It does set up a romantic relationship. And I think that you can contrast that to Carol and Tyrese, who had, I think, an equally intense emotional relationship for different reasons... And yet it doesn't have the same connotations as the Beth and Daryl relationship at all. Yeah. And I mean, I think here we can bring we can bring touch into it more and kind of his experience with touch and how he deals with touch. And by the way, something that I've been criticized for, and I think it's absolutely fair, is that I tend to talk about Daryl more than Beth. And I think part of that's just because I identify with Daryl more and I feel like I understand him more. But I think talking about Beth in the setting is really, really important, too. And I think that that scene is so interesting regarding both of them, because, yeah, she's... I don't think it's necessarily... She's not even thinking at romance, about romance at that point. I don't think that's in her head at all. I think that she's seeing that he's upset, and one of the things that in, in her life you do when someone's upset is that you don't just give them emotional comfort, but you also give them physical comfort. You, you hug people. It's just what you do. And I think that, yeah, there there is this moment where she just does it and she's not thinking about it. And he looks so tense. I mean, he looks like he's kind of, yeah, he touches her elbow, but it's it's so wonderfully awkward. And yeah, he really stiffens up and she pulls back. And one of the things I love about how they're physically arranged is that if it was different characters, I think they would kiss at that point. Or there would be kind of an almost kiss at that point. Because, I mean, she's kind of, it's the way it's lit, and she's kind of looking up at him, and her, I mean, her cardigan's kind of falling off one shoulder. But it's not like that. She pulls back, and I think she completely recognizes the awkwardness, and maybe almost feels like she made a little bit of, a, of an error, a little bit of a miscalculation. And, I mean, I think that we can also point to that as something else that, I mean, God, they're like they're setting us up at the beginning of season four. The very beginning. And it's so carefully done. 
It's the very beginning of Gimple's reign, also, the fact that this is a new writer and this is how he wants us to see his characters um, is so indicative of sort of the path that he wants us to see happening. And the fact that the powers of being, you know, emphasized time and time again that, season, that the beginning of season four sets up everything that happens later. I think that that, that makes that scene so incredibly important. Yeah, and I mean, I think that we should also mention at this point that we're both coming from a team delusional, team defiance perspective. Yeah. So neither of us think this is over. So we're kind of coming at this from that assumption. And, you know, I'm just going to toss this in here. And this is something that I think, you know, a fair number of people might not agree with. I think that one of the things that is so interesting about that scene is that it's really the one romantic element of that episode. Because I think you, you even see Rick and Michonne kind of getting set up because they're friendly with each other in a way that you don't see in season three. That's one of the things that you don't see a payoff on because it's cut short so hard, but right up until the point it's cut short, it's, I think, pretty clearly building towards something like what happened with Rick and Michonne. It just never got that far. And I think that you can actually, you can actually compare and contrast those two romantic plot lines and I think you see a lot of differences, but I also think you see an enormous number of similarities, even though Rick is a completely different character sexually, especially because, yeah, I mean, you see him having sex almost on screen. It, there's no real doubt about how he handles it and how he feels. Plus, you know, he has kids. Yeah. And I think also if you think about Karen and Tyrese, you know, you have I think that you have that episode does center around these three sort of couple. I haven't watched the episode in a while, but I think as I remember it. Me neither. As I remember it, that the episode centers around those three couples and the fact that Karen, you know, the Karen and Tyrese relationship um, or what happens to it is what launches the drama of the entire series of the entire um, season. And then you have the Beth and Daryl hug, which is cut short by their mutual awkwardness. You have Rick and Michonne, which is cut short by Carl, which is interesting because of the way that they sort of once they're alone on the road, they all come together as a family. I feel like without Carl, Rick and Michonne wouldn't have happened because he needs someone, or at least without Carl's acceptance, he wouldn't have had that relationship with anyone. Like he would have been with someone like Jesse, who I feel like he needed in that moment, but he didn't want. Well, he wanted in that moment, but he didn't need the way he needs Michonne. Yeah, Jesse. I mean, that we could slip into a Rick thing here too, because yeah. I think we both think Rick is so interesting. But yeah, I mean, I think one of the differences. One of the other differences that's I, that's so interesting between Rick's relationships and Daryl's relationships, and I think that I think the writers also kind of intend people to notice those differences because I think they're being so carefully developed. Rick is sort of self-destructive in some ways in terms of the people he's drawn to. Jesse is not a good match for him. I mean, I love Jesse. I'm really really upset about what happened to her. I think it sucks, but. She's not a good match for him in terms of moderating him. I don't know that her personality would have been strong enough to keep him in check, whereas Michonne is absolutely... I think Michonne is actually absolutely what he needs. I agree, yeah. And I don't think Daryl has any idea what he needs, but I think Beth is exactly what he needs. Yeah, and I think exactly, exactly what you said before about the sort of emotional aggression, but I think the way, the way you talked about their relationship before in terms of the way that Beth handles aggression, I think that's exactly true, is that he needs someone who understands sort of not how to handle him, but how to handle his baggage almost. And I think that she does that without even knowing about it. I think that she, I mean, I think she knows that he's been abused. And I think she knows he's had these bad relationships. Like I can't imagine her not having seen the scars on his back during season two. 
But I think that it isn't until still that she knows how deeply, you know, he feels everything. And I think that's one of Daryl's defining character traits, that he feels everything so strongly. And everything he does comes from what he feels. And I think he needs a character that's equally feeling, but perhaps is able to handle those feelings in a more mature manner. Yeah, and in fact, God, you know, you mentioned her seeing his scars in season two. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I mean, I, I, it's weird. Like, this is something I actually struggle with a little bit. I feel like I understand this character pretty well. People tell me that my Daryl, when I write him, is amazing. And I, you know, thanks. But I am the kind of person who also tends to forget details. It's just kind of how I'm wired. And it did not really occur to me until now that, yeah, she probably saw something in season two. And I don't think she would ever have forgotten that because, I mean, among other things, that might be her first experience being in close proximity at all to somebody who has physically clearly been hurt real bad. She has, I mean, yeah, she knows, she knows that her grandfather was abusive, but I don't Mm -hmm. think she really, I don't think she was really close to that physically in such a way. Yeah, and we don't we don't know the relationship she has to her father, you know, if her father ever took his shirt off or if her father has scars even. Although I know it's been written in a lot of fics that he does and that's a similarity between him and Daryl. But yeah, like we said like you said, we don't know um her relationship to that sort of generational trauma except for his, you know, Herschel's drinking, which I I I can't see ha- as becoming long-term physical abuse against his children because his children still love him clearly and trust him, which is definitely not the case with Daryl. Yeah. I mean, I think everything that you see, and this is so important to Beth's characterization, and I think really important to how Beth would interpret romance and sex, nothing you see in the Green family indicates anything but really, really healthy relationships. And I think that 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 is so interesting because it means that, you know, if you assume that Beth and Daryl are coming together in whatever context, she has no history of experiencing any kind of a deep emotional relationship as anything but positive, whereas all of his history is real bad, except for maybe teen family. And again, I think that that means that romantically and potentially sexually, and I think we should talk about that, they're speaking completely different languages and navigating that. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I think fix where, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I prefer slow burn and I can't really write anything other than slow burn. I just can't see them jumping right into anything because they are both coming from way too different places. Uh, I mean, I think I think this is where we can talk about something that I think is is absolutely fascinating, and that's how people actually write them together sexually. And in particular, we both really had canon him on the asexual spectrum. And I think that I, I wrote in the notes that I I think he works as demisexual, where he hasn't been interested in sex until Beth. And then he really, really enjoys sex with her, but he wouldn't really, like, he would never cheat on her. He just would never be interested in anybody else. It would be a completely alien idea to him. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, him just being interested in romance and complete isolation from sex. But I I think that it's interesting that we both, I wouldn't say we hypersexualize him because I don't think that, I just don't think we do that, but... We both write a tremendous amount of porn. Yes. And we're both interested. We both think it's hot, but I think we're both interested in exploring his character via sex. And I think that that tension between how we write him that way and how we headcanon him that way is, I mean, I think it's interesting because I could never stop writing porn. It just, I love it too much. Yeah, I feel... And you're too, you're too good at it, so please don't stop. Oh, you're, be- you're better at it, please. Oh. Um, 
<laughs> but no, I feel the exact same way. And I feel like it's the same sort of thing we talked about at the beginning about how porn can be like the most amazing vehicle for character development. And I think what you develop in Pacify is just so incredible because I don't think I could never see it happening on the show. But I think as a way of exploring the potentialities of Daryl's character and the you know dynamics between him and Beth, it still works so perfectly. And it's just it's. It's just, it's, it's sort of the same way that I think of, you know, AUs and this idea that, like, you put these characters in this absolutely different situation, but they still have the same dynamic, and you can, you know, use that different situation to explore them. And I feel like Pacify, if you look at it as an AU, it's, it's a deeper look into their characters through this idea of BDSM type sex, even though that's not something that could ever have happened in canon, I think, is really interesting that you're able to bring out so much about their characters and their relationship yeah and i mean i, I totally agree with it being a, an au i, I it couldn't I, I would never see it happening and even if you know even if beth comes back and she's very different in terms of her personality and i mean i don't feel like i write her and pacify as being that different because i'd still try to keep her character recognizable uh, for people who haven't read pacify it's my enormous fix series where i basically try to explore every kink possible just because I think that's kind of fun. Oh, can I write this kink? Can I write this one? Can I do this one and make it believable? I think this one might be hot. And for throughout most of it, although I'm starting to slip away from this a little bit because I want to go in a different direction, Daryl is completely sexually dominant and Beth is completely sexually submissive, which, I mean, I don't want to get into a thing where we're completely analyzing my fic, but I, I, one of the reasons why I, I love writing that is because it's basically the complete opposite from how I think they are emotionally. I, I think if if you don't want to write it as egalitarian, and I think that that could be too, Beth in that series is emotionally dominant, and Daryl is emotionally submissive, even when he's being extremely physically dominant, and they even edge into violence, although it's consensual violence. That the, the physical dynamic is completely opposite to the... Uh, emotional dynamic and I, again I don't think there's really other, any other way I could write that and have it be in character yeah I completely agree and I think that that idea of having that sort of switch between emotional and physical dominance is very sort of it's interesting to think about in terms of the way their characters are characterized you know especially by people who don't like their relationship who see Daryl as sort of a sex god or as a alpha male lone wolf whatever and see Beth as this doe-eyed helpless little girl um which yeah which um (laughs) but I think that the way that you the way that you write them having her being emotionally dominant even as he's being physically dominant that really sort of undermines that reading of their characters and shows that even though Daryl could break her like a stick like he's not going to because she could break him in half in like 10 other ways yeah and I I mean I think it's I think it's kind of interesting how you bring up how people who don't like the relationship look at it, because one of the reasons why that irritates me so much is because, yes, I think that they take his sexuality and hers, mm-hmm. and they completely twist them around into something that I don't agree with and, in fact, find very troubling, because it makes him out not only to be, not only to be, I think, aggressively interested in sex, which is just completely not how he is, and I don't think how he ever could be. But it almost makes him out to be kind of a predator. And mm. she would never allow herself to be prey. And I think that nothing would horrify him more than... I mean, I think 
predation in general horrifies him. I think he hates it. I think that his uh, his instinct is to protect the vulnerable. I think it's one of the things he thinks is most important. But I think that sexual predation, I mean, and this is something we could get into almost fine with a little bit, because I, I mentioned that one of the things that I love about that is that he has this incredibly abusive idea of what sex should be. I think he would find sexual predation just the most horrible thing because it's such a deep level of violation. Yeah, and we see that in season two, I think, when he's um, you know interrogating Randall, and Randall brings up something about you know his group attacking women. And the, oh God, he's yeah. just horrified. And that's when Daryl gets that look in his eyes where you know he's you know he could be the you know Rick is the most dangerous character on the show, but no, I think Daryl when you get his hackles up is absolutely terrifying, which is something you've said before. And I can completely agree with. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I don't like that scene so much because I feel like, I feel like it's slightly out of character. I think him, him casually torturing somebody isn't something that I, I mean, personally, I kind of think that that's not really so much him, but I also think it's completely him because yes, you see him angry there in a way that you really don't see in most other ways, because he's not screaming and throwing things. He's just really cold. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's, there's, there's this one scene where he's the one part where he's advancing and he's just, there's this, I mean, I love, I fucking love Norman so much because he can act with his eyes in a way that I, I mean, I, I think in most respects, he's kind of, he's an average actor in a lot of ways but he can act with his face in a way that I just haven't seen most other people be able to do. And there's this, you see, you see this so much when he's with Beth, because so much of what he's feeling is he's very understated. He's very kind of pulled into himself, but you also have to see his emotion facially because I don't really think there are many other ways you can see it, but his eyes are just completely cold there. And I think that that given that that, yeah, is one of the times when you see him potentially really capable of physical cruelty and so angry about this specific thing. I mean, it, again, it's one of the things that makes me really angry about people who are against this ship for that reason. I think that it's such a, it's really a damaging misreading of his character because yeah, I, I think it takes his sexuality and it completely twists it around to something that I, I don't personally recognize and that I think is I, I mentioned this also in my notes, uh, more regarding uh, aggressive sexualization of Norman, but I think that it reveals some things about how some people in this fandom feel about sexuality that makes me deeply uncomfortable and a little worried, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Like the idea that the alpha male, or who appears to be an alpha male because he has big muscles and he kills people, kills walkers, is has to be the sexually aggressive one, and the you know young pretty doe-eyed girl has to be the sexually submissive one or the sexually violated one seems to be the main argument against the ship even when in canon you know when we see her being sexually threatened in slab town she holds her own absolutely she kills her rapist uh, a potential rapist and as you said before i think she would never let herself you know if she can help it she would never let herself get into a sexually abusive situation um especially with someone like Daryl, who I don't think, as you know, as we've discussed, I don't think is capable of that. I think that it, it's just it could not happen for him. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, one of the things that I really—it's only really in a couple of scenes in Albior's first song when Beth is talking to him about his sexual experiences, and he's saying, you know, I I, I don't know, I never really was interested in it until now. It was just kind of something I did because I felt like I had to. Which, by the way. 
somebody else had to point that out to me because so many parts of that fic I didn't really understand until somebody else pointed them out to me. That means, and it's really tragic, that no experience sexually until Beth in that fic has been fully consensual. Mm. He's been coerced into everything emotionally, and that's that's awful. Mm-hmm. But but she's you know she's saying you should only do it when you want to. Like I don't un- I don't understand why you wouldn't do it only when you want to. It's not a moment of kind of her being naive, but I think it reveals a lot about how her attitude towards sex is that this should be completely pleasurable. This should be about emotional closeness. There should be nothing in it that's not enjoyable, and if anything in it is not enjoyable, you're doing it wrong. But he kind of, she's saying, you know, there's this, there's this kind of thing where people think that an older man will be trying to push things too fast and get something out of me. You know, and you're not doing that. You're, you're a really good guy. And he's thinking about it, and he, he, it's like he gets it kind of because he's seen it, but he's also completely baffled by it. Like he doesn't understand how anybody could do that to somebody else. He just can't get his head into that place. And I, I think that that makes a certain degree of sense. It's not just that he would not do that, and it's not just that he would regard it as horrifying, but I think that on a really deep level, he wouldn't even understand how somebody could do that. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's so completely outside his personality. I don't even see him as capable of doing it. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, what you were also what you were saying before about Beth, about her, you know, her relationships, I think it might be interesting to talk about her sexuality for a minute. Because she is one of the few characters who we've seen in two active romantic relationships. But it seems like, you know, she didn't really like either of them very much. Um, Like, I completely agree with Fix that characterized Jimmy as being just sort of like this high school boyfriend that I think in 18 Miles Out, she does say to Maggie, like, I'm not married to him just because he's like, you know, my boyfriend at the end of the world. Um, And with Zach, it definitely does seem to be a thing where she's with him because at least I had canon it as because everyone expects her to be, um, you know, they're both attractive college ish aged people. And it's part of her trying to make the, the prison normal. I think, I think a lot of what she does, the way she decorates her cell, um, the way she sings, I think a lot of her actions during the prison, during their time at the prison are trying to make them into having a normal type of life. And yet we never see them, like I've been watching Teen Wolf, so I have no I have no like illusions about teenage sexuality on television. I think if they wanted to show a sex scene between Beth and Zach, they would have. And I think it's sort of it's really interesting that she doesn't see except for the kiss that she has with Zach, there's no real sexual spark between her and anyone. And with Daryl, I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't call it a sexual spark, but I would call it a something a spark of something, but and yet we never, I think we're ambiguous about her sexuality as well, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't pick up on, because, I mean, I, you can you can chalk up a lot of chemistry to actors, and I think that it's, I sort of wonder the degree to which people, ex, the you know, the writers and on the show expected Norman and Emily to have so much chemistry, because the second they're together in close proximity, there's a spark. And I don't think that's, again, just because I wanted to see it, because I didn't want to see it and I saw it mm-hmm. anyway. But yeah, there's you never really see her interact. I don't think you really see her interact with Jimmy in any kind of way that's romantic, except when he's hugging her. Uh, I forget at what point he's hugging her. I don't think it's when the walkers come out of the barn. Maybe it is. But you don't. she doesn't kiss him as far as I can remember. And even the kiss with Zach is 
kind of a perfunctory thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's more just like, you're going into danger. I will do this. But it's, you know, it's not, there's nothing really there. And, you know, yeah, I kind of, I kind of actually wonder, it didn't occur to me that she might be doing that to kind of bring some normalcy to the situation. But the idea that she would do that because it's expected of her is, is interesting to me because one of the things that it would mean, and I, one of the things that I, I wonder so much, and I don't think we get as much of a sense of this as we maybe do of Daryl, although maybe it's just because, again, I feel like I understand Daryl better personally. I don't really know what she would think about the fact that Daryl is a lot older than her. I mean, I think emotionally they're very much on, kind of on the same level, and if anything, I think she's got a significant amount of maturity on him. But she knows he's older, and I think that she might kind of think, well, it's the end of the world, and I don't think anybody really cares anymore. But I think she also would probably be aware on some level that this is not the kind of relationship somebody would expect of her, that if anything, this is kind of the opposite, because it's it's weird. And one of the things I love about AUs is trying to justify why it could happen at all, because without the end of the world, I don't think it ever would. I don't think it ever would have gone within 100 yards of each other. And I really wonder kind of what she would feel about the fact that this is a deeply unconventional relationship in a number of ways, but especially backgrounds and especially the fact that he's a lot older than her. And I mean, I think talking about the age gap, you kind of have to, even if you don't think it's a problem. Yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, I, I know, I, I feel like I agree with you. I think that I do also feel like I understand Daryl more than I understand Beth, mostly because of, you know, my own background in terms of, fam you know, domestic abuse and whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about Beth's you know, reaction to being with a man so much older than her. For me, that's always just been that it, it, you know, she understands him as a person and she connects with him and that's it. But she does have a family that even though they have a very healthy relationship with each other, they're also a white, you know, they're a white picket fence type of family. And as Herschel seems to be a God-fearing type of family. And so... I don't know. It's interesting to speculate about the kind of reaction that they would have without the end of the world. With the end of the world, I definitely think, you know, Herschel and Maggie would approve of Daryl in a heartbeat. And I think Maggie does approve of them as far as we see after Coda, the way that she reacts, she acts around Daryl. She definitely knows that he loved her. She knows. She and knows. she's like yeah. definitely totally okay with it because she knows Daryl's a good person and she knows that were Beth with them, he would be the first person to die for her if he needed to. But yeah, I've never really thought about Beth's opinion on the age gap before. That's really interesting. Yeah, and and I mean, one of the reasons why I won't fucking shut up about I'll Be Yours for a Song is because that's kind of my ultimate exploration of their relationship in a lot of respects, even though Pacify does it on a really deep level, too. And how I wrote it, and I, I kind of, I did a lot of thinking when I was trying to figure out how I was going to do this, about how, okay, yeah, this is a complete AU where the world doesn't end. So I have to figure out how I'm going to justify this without the fact that, you know, in, in on the show, they've had to rely on each other for survival, if nothing else, and that creates a very deep emotional bond. And it makes you not care about a lot of other things. I mean, we know that from doing a lot of research in combat situations. Soldiers just don't care about a lot when they have to rely on each other for survival. It just goes away. But in I'll Be Yours for a Song, uh, she knows that other people care. And it's one of the reasons why she says that, okay, we we got to keep this secret. 
she doesn't say we have to keep the secret to protect me. She says we have to keep the secret to protect yeah. you because I don't want other people to think that you're being a predator because they would assume that. So she recognizes that it's it's not something that other people would respond well to, and especially not her father. And they don't mm-hmm. in the end. But it's something that she feels like isn't a problem because, I mean, I think she just she can tell almost immediately that he isn't the kind of person who would push her, that he isn't kind of the person who would be a predator, that he almost has kind of an innocence about him. That means that their relationship emotionally is very egalitarian. And the degree to which she's thinking about their their relationship sexually at that point, I think that she kind of feels like she's safe with him implicitly in that respect, too. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I, I fucking loved writing that so much because of that. Yeah, I mean, you're right. AUs. And I... This is this is something where we could, we could jump back to almost fine. And one of the reasons why I like that fic so much is I think you can actually put them side by side and you can see a lot of differences and a lot of similarities. Why he ends up wanting to be with her in that too and how she kind of pushes things in that respect as well because I feel like she's one of the people or she's more of the person who says we should have a relationship. I think that I could be good for you, and I don't really see why we shouldn't, because clearly we both like each other a lot. Do you, do you want to talk about that? I honestly, I, I haven't worked on that fic in so long. I don't remember it very well. But like, I, I do remember what I was, that's definitely what I was going for, is the fact that, you know, I think that Beth doesn't really, I think, I think in that fic, Beth sees him sexually from the moment she meets him. That was my, that was my goal with that fic, is that, you know, she never sees him as a stepbrother. He's always sort of this sexual person. But as she gets to know him, she connects with him on an emotional level that I don't think she expects. And I think the connection of that, as you know, you, we've talked about that in her experience, you know, when you're close to someone emotionally, you touch them when you're close, you know, and if her sexuality is that she's a sexual person, then that would lead to sex. And I think that her coming into closer understanding of Daryl would show her that, and you know, we could go back to talking about touch as well, is that touch is something he's never experienced in a good way. And I think that she wants to give him good things. And I don't want this to seem as if, you know, we're talking about Beth always being the one giving things to Daryl. I think he gives a lot of things to her as well. And that's one of the reasons why I kept her as 17 instead of making her 18 in that fic is because I wanted her to be, at this age, this sort of coming of age age that I felt 17 emphasized. I wanted to emphasize sort of her naivete and how that matched Daryl's naivete in the sense of relationships and how they're not just, you know, they're growing towards each other as they're growing together as a couple, which is something I really wanted to emphasize. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something, it's something that I personally haven't done, which is one of the reasons why I love uh, reading how you do it there because I mean, I think you nail it, first of all. And I think, I mean, I think that it's so, it's so interesting because it's a place where people, I don't know if they don't go there and I'm not criticizing other fic writers like this. I really want to be clear, but I think that it's something a lot of people don't do. And I think it's because it might not occur to people, first of all, because I think honestly, you really have to think about these characters on a deep level before it does, but it's also incredibly difficult and in fact, one of the reasons why I decided, I originally wrote the beginning of I'll Be Yours for a song to be kind of, I think, when you set them. Beth was 17 and Daryl was basically season two, season three age. And then when I started writing more of it, which I completely blame <laughs> you for, 
uh, he, I decided to age them up and make them both season four slash season five. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do that is because I kind of wanted to do the exact opposite of what you did. And I wanted to make Daryl more, not necessarily mature, but not so much in a formative mm -hmm. period. And I wanted to make her much more also kind of less going through serious identity formation and much more settled so that she could engage with him in a way that I felt wasn't quite so naive. And I really want to be clear that I think that it's great that you did. I have no problem with writing her like that. It's just not something, I mean, to be honest, it's not something I felt like I could do in the way that you did. I just couldn't write her that way because I don't think that I have that much insight into how to do that. There, there are some things about characters I just don't think about very much because I know that that's not really my mm -hmm. wheelhouse. Yeah, and I mean, I think like a lot of the reason, I mean, that I mean, the reason why I wrote that fic was because I wanted to explore Daryl's relationship with his mother, which has, you know, has, fall, God, has fallen yeah. out in recent chapters because they've been focusing on him and Beth, but which will come back once I start working on it again. And I think that having his mother there, I think, completely changes their relationship, and I think it makes Daryl, it does make Daryl a bit more emotionally mature in the fact that he's had a dysfunctional but still loving relationship throughout his life that does give him, I think, a little bit more emotional maturity that makes him able to deal with the fact that Beth isn't as maybe set, like, as you said, settled. Um, I think that he has, he's a bit more settled in that fic than he is in most fics or how I would imagine him in most AU fics. So yeah, I don't know. I have to go back and reread that before I continue writing it because there's a lot that I wanted to do with that. I think it's, I'm sorry, I think it's hilarious that you don't remember. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not like going, how can you not remember? What kind I have, of a, ter I have uh, a terrible but memory. Just, it's really bad. But. <laughs> well, I mean, I do too. Yay. It's, but, but yeah, that that's, that's something else that I absolutely love about what you did is that yes, his mother is still there and not only is his mother still there, but his mother has fallen in with Herschel, which means that, he, yeah, he has right in front of him this model of a relationship that actually, actually is very, very healthy, that is completely unlike the relationship his mother was in before. So he's almost watching her moving in a direction that he could move in, into something that's, that's much, much healthier, that's much more egalitarian, that's much more mutual, and him watching her do that. I mean, it's honestly, it's been a while since I read it too, but I recall that he almost feels a kind mm -hmm. of resentment early on because it's just, it's not something he knows. And I think he almost doesn't entirely believe that it can be true. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the way, I mean, I don't want this podcast to become about my fic, but like, I think the way that I tried to write their early relationship was him resenting the fact that she was able to sort of heal, not, she was able to be a healthy functioning person for this new family, whereas he's needed her since he was born and she was never really there for him. And so now, you know, she, they're both adults and he's sort of like, what, and he's seeing her being this sort of healthy, normal person, you know, whatever you want to call normal. And he's like, why couldn't you have been this for me when I needed you to be? And now it's, you know, it's almost too late for me. And I think that feeling of too lateness is where Beth can come and intervene and show him that, no, it's not too late. And I think that that's always an important part of their relationship that, and I think that also plays into the age gap thing is that a part of Daryl probably thinks it's too late for him to change. And Beth proves him wrong. Oh my God. 
<laughs> no, I'm kind of. I'm sorry. It's just so. It's so wonderful and it's so perfect yeah. and it's so terrible. And I hate you for it. I hate you for so much too. So yeah. Don't worry. Okay. Well, I know we're both like terrible at this kind of thing in in a great way. It, I I I love that because, like I said, I think it's so different from what a lot of other fics do, because it emphasizes. And this is this is exactly what. Norman has said, and exactly what just about every other writer on the show has said, and I think, I don't recall the degree to which Gimple has said it, but I know he's referred to it at least once in an interview, that Daryl could not, his 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 movement towards somebody else romantically, and I think also sexually, if that ended up happening, or ends up happening, is going to be extremely slow and extremely awkward and extremely uncertain, because yeah, I th- it's not only that I think that he doesn't, he has no real experience of that and he doesn't really know how it works, but that it's coming out of the blue because, yeah, I mean, I again, we don't know, we don't know how old he is for sure, but I, I had canon him as being late 30s, rapidly approaching mm. 40. I mean, I, th- I just think that fits with how he looks and everything that we know about his history. Yeah, I think that it makes sense that he would kind of feel like this isn't going to happen. This is just, you know, not only has this never happened to me, this is just not the kind of thing that's going to happen in my life ever. I will never be close to anybody this way. And I think writing him discovering that he actually even wants it, because I think that he just doesn't think about it as something he would want. You never see that he does. You never see him looking at something and going, oh, I wish I could have that. It's just not even, it never comes up. It's completely Mm -hmm. absent. Yeah, I think that lack of desire on Daryl's part is really interesting because you see, you know, everyone else, you see them sort of wanting things. Like you see Rick wanting power. You want, you see, you know, Maggie and Glenn wanting each other. But I think Daryl really just wants, like, I think he always wants to just be with someone, whether it's with Rick as a partnership or romantic, if you want to swing it that way. I think he just wants to be accepted for who he is, but he doesn't know that he wants it, and I, or if he does know, I think he doesn't think it's possible. I think you you mentioned this on Tumblr, I think, recently, or someone mentioned it recently, about how the fact that he says to Rick that he's family before Rick says it is... God, I, just, yeah. Actually, I think Rick might have said it when Daryl left with Merle, because he was like, your family. I think he did say that you're family, but the fact that Daryl re-emphasized that and made that something that's clear, I think, is so huge. Because I think at the depths of who Daryl is, that's really all he wants, is to be part of the family. And whether that involves sex or romance or not, I think that he'll take it in whatever form it's going to come in. And I think that that's far more central to his character than who he's going to hook up with, you know? Yeah. Yeah, God, you, actually, God, you know who says it first? And this kills me. It's Glenn. Oh my gosh, you're right. When he's when he's walking away, it's Glenn, and I mean, I, okay, I could we could get into an entire thing about his relationship with Glenn because I absolutely love it, but yeah, that's one of the people he's close to emotionally first is actually Glenn. I think he gravitates toward Rick a little more slowly, but very differently, and I think much more intensely. But yeah, is what he what he wants is family, and I think it's really the only thing that he wants. You don't see him, you don't see him wanting. Not only do you not see him wanting substances of any kind, but you see that he actively does not want them. I mean, yeah, he gets drunk with Beth, but I don't think that he is happy about the fact that he does that. I don't think that he enjoys it particularly. I think it's a coping mechanism. But yeah, you really, you see him wanting family more than anything else. And the fact that, this is where I think we could talk for a minute, 
or two about how people write him as wanting sex aggressively and and why why people do that because I think it's yeah I think it's kind of troubling and annoying but I also think it's interesting that the fandom constructs him so much that way and I have no idea where they're getting it from so I think wondering about that is interesting the fact that they look at him as wanting nothing but family and that they get a, the aggressive pursuit of sex from that is I mean what do you think about that I mean first of all first of all I feel like I mean even if it's with a pairing or a dynamic I don't agree with, I do feel like I support any thick writing in any sense. Cause I think that like, even if you mischaracterize a character, like it's still fan fiction. So I feel like it's difficult for me to say like, you know, you're doing fan fiction wrong. But I think that like what you say is like, that is really interesting to think that that transforming that need for family into a need for sex is, it is an interesting phenomenon especially for a character that's been surrounded by family and yet has not transformed any of that family into a sexual relationship the only i mean the only sexual the only contact he's had with a person that i could see perceived as sexual is the massage that he gives carol in season i think the beginning of season three but again i feel like one of the things i feel about him in touch is that it's always until Beth, it's always for a purpose. You know, it's with Carol, it's because, you know, she wants comfort. He can give her comfort. He gives her a massage. And then when, you know, he's leaving, he like taps Rick's tummy and he's like, you know, bye. And that's sort of like a reaffirmation of their relationship. And it really, it isn't until Beth that he's just sort of touching her for no reason except to make her happy. And this is really deviating from what we were originally talking about. But yeah, I think that uh, yeah, I don't know what to think about this idea of turning someone who is so really pure at heart and doesn't seem to even care about his own wants most of the time. Because as we see at the prison, he's always the one like going out on runs, always the one leading the runs, always the one sort of providing for everybody. And I think one of the one of the dynamics I want to explore a lot further is this. I, and there's one fic that I've been wanting to write for a long time set at the prison about how, you know, Beth and Daryl both sort of take care of everybody, but then there's really no one taking care of them. And this idea that they can take care of each other, I think, is so interesting and a huge potentiality for their relationship with or without sex, you know, taking care of someone that could be perceived as sexual. But I think that it doesn't have to be sexual. And, yeah, I don't know enough about psychology to say why people make it sexual, you know, beyond the just the exploration of fan fiction. Um, but why, you know, I think that there are, I mean, I think there's a difference between exploring something in fan fiction and actually concretely believing that that's the canonical reading, you know. Um, and I think it's the people who believe that that's the canonical reading of Daryl. That's what troubles me more than the people who write him in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I should emphasize that. I, I, I think that there's... Not only do I think there's nothing wrong with it, but I think it's it's kind of fun to write him inten- you know intentionally out of character, and just fucking go for the porn. I mean, I think you can still make it an exploration of character, but I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with kind of stepping aside from what you read him as canonically, and just kind of just kind of diving in. I mean, you've done that and it's great. Uh, but yeah, it's what troubles me is saying this is who he is actually Mm -hmm. in canon and i think that i mean i just want to mention this i don't think we necessarily need to get deep into this but one of the things i think that's connected to is hypersexualizing norman absolutely 
and one of the th one of the things we've seen in in fandom is that that actually has kind of translated into actual sexual harassment, and I think that that's deeply, deeply not yeah. okay. And I think that the the hypersexualization of Norman and Daryl are probably both connected. Yeah. I, I don't. I haven't talked to people enough about this to no, know no, really how, but that's my suspicion. Yeah, and it's also it's it's strange and like to use your words, troubling the way that the writers very consciously write Daryl as this sort of very desexed figure, and yet all the marketing, all of the you know talk show things that happen with Daryl, you know Chris Hardwick, whatever, they all emphasize Daryl as a sex symbol. Whereas that's completely the opposite of what he is in the show. Whereas Rick in the show is much more of a sexual object than Daryl is in terms of the way that the camera views them. And yet Rick is, he's more of like the cerebral leader in the way that the show is marketed. So, you know, that connection, I, I definitely think that the marketing, because Norman has those enormous arms and because he's beautiful, you know, like it's, it's, it's easy to make him a marketing tool which is awful to do that to a person, especially when they put as much effort and as much care into a character as Norman clearly does. Yeah. In fact, I, I've, I've sort of my, my headcanon for Norman. And I think that there is some evidence for this is that he's deeply frustrated by this. I would, yeah, he kind of, yes, he, he, he entertains the talking points whenever people ask him, who are you going to hook up with? But given how much thought he carefully puts into the, he puts clearly puts into this character and how much care and how I think he tries to emphasize that and how he plays Daryl, I would guess that he has to be kind of sick of this by now. Because it's not, it's not, and I think this might be kind of strange for somebody on a shipping podcast to be saying, but I don't think it's all that interesting. Or at least it's not a very interesting reading of him. And yeah, yeah, he's got the enormous arms. But <laughs> but actually, some, something something that I've, I've, think I've mentioned before that's interesting to me is they do shoot him just that's in terms true. of cinematography not in a sexualized way and you know Rick just Rick just happens to have his shirt off when he answers the door and and the other thing that I think is is kind of true is that Andy is more conventionally attractive Norman looks kind of weird I mean yes he's very attractive but yeah. he is kind of weird looking also yeah I was I was not attracted to him until I saw him act. I thought I was just like I had no idea why he was a huge sex symbol until I Same. saw him as Daryl. Yeah, which I think is another super interesting thing that we could go into. Yeah, I mean I think this could actually be multiple episodes, which we could do if you wanted, because yeah. But but yes, a, a, the one of the things that I think is true about people, and I think that this is actually kind of what you see, not necessarily in fan fiction, but in, in canonical interpretations of his character that I think are really off is that people look at sexual attractiveness and they just automatically translate that into sexual interest. They can't really separate the two. And I think that one of the reasons why they don't is because, yeah, it's not marketed that way. When people market, mm -hmm. and when, some, when people market somebody as a sex symbol, they're marketing them not just as a sex symbol, but they're marketing them as sexually available. And I don't mm -hmm. like that. And also, I think, as someone who desires sex, because we've always, I mean, especially in just thinking of any movie I've ever seen where there's an attractive male lead, the attractive male lead is always interested in the attractive female lead. And that's because they're attractive. And the ones who aren't particularly interested in romance are the ones who aren't conventionally attractive. So I think that's definitely a trope that, you know, it's not just about sexual availability, it's also about sexual want and ascribing that 
sexual want to someone just because they're attractive because sex would be avail you know ostensibly available for them whenever they want it obviously they would want it because they're male with fem- with women it's very different yeah i, I mean I, i've 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 something else i've also talked about and i think you've talked about too is how interesting daryl is as a depiction of masculinity because if you're doing a surface reading of him, he's completely de- he's completely conventional. Yes, he's got the massive arms. God, one of the th- just an aside, and I think I've talked about this too. One of the things I love about Always Accountable is that he, you know, he's wearing this long sleeved jacket thing, and then he crashes, and oh, he must remove this jacket, and then he's got bare arms for the entire <laughs> episode, which I think is completely conscious on the part of the writers because they have to do that constantly. But they, uh, what was I talking about? Do you remember? <laughs> Um, a sexual availability attractiveness. Yes. Conventional masculinity. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, he's, he's a really interesting depiction of masculinity in that respect, because we are now into the seventh season. And I, yeah, I feel like originally there was kind of this joking of, oh, when is Daryl going to get a love interest? And now I think people are really starting to fucking wonder when is Daryl getting a love interest? Because I honestly can't think of another show off the top of my head, at all, that's featured, yes, a, a, a sexually attractive character who's marketed as a sexually attractive character who hasn't had any kind of sexual relationship on the show at all. I can't think of another show that's done that. I can't. Yeah, like, I'm thinking now I can't either. And it's, it tends to be the most sexually attractive character who's the most hypersexualized. Like, I, for, I forced my roommate to start watching Friday Night Lights last Yay. night, so I'm thinking of, like, Tim, you know, Tim Riggins is the hypersexualized male figure because he's the most, you know, conventionally attractive male figure. So of course he's going to be hypersexualized. But they don't do that with Daryl, which is so interesting because obviously AMC would wish they did because they would get tons of viewership from that. Yeah, and in fact I I something that I feel like just to jump back to Team Defiance for a minute, something that I feel like AMC is accepting is Gimple saying, this will happen. I just need you to be patient. It's going to happen. I swear <laughs> to God. Because, yeah, I think that it is something AMC would prefer. And I think it's interesting that they've allowed it to not happen. Because that, that I mean, that's, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to see Daryl hook up with somebody. And I think at this point, they almost don't care who. It's just, just, it's just God, somebody, for the love of Christ. And, <laughs> and it's, it's interesting that they have even allowed this to happen. And I love that they have because it, it just, it's one of the things that makes him interesting in terms of a male character. And it's one of the things that makes it possible to interpret him as asexual. And I mean, one of the reasons why I love that is because asexual representation on TV sucks. I mean, there's just mm. none of it pretty much. And yeah, it's not explicit in the case of Daryl, but even if you can read him that way and it makes sense, I still think that's kind of important. It's one of the things that if, if, comes back and if something happens I kind of hope they don't stop doing that even if he does get into even if he does or did with another character get into some kind of sexual relationship I really hope that they wouldn't completely toss out the window everything they've done with him that's interesting sexually I really hope they would maintain that in whatever way that they can yeah and I think I mean there is that selfish part of me that wants the you know a million Beth and Daryl sex Uh scenes because they're beautiful people and because I ship them and because that would just be lovely. And because they both deserve as many orgasms as possible because they've, God, they've been through enough. 
But yeah, I agree. I think that whatever happens, like they can't if they just jump into bed together, like that's just going to be worse than if she didn't come back. To, I mean, well, maybe not that, but it would be a huge disservice to both of their characters if they just jump into bed together without, like you said, sort of the slow burn, which, I mean, if they take, like, over two seasons to bring her back, like, they can take another season to have her and Daryl dancing around each other sexually, you know, if they want to make it into a sexual relationship, or if they want to keep it just as a romantic relationship without sex, you know, they can still have sexy photo shoots, and that would be cool, too. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I I love that you say that you know maybe they should take another season. I, okay, I think that a number of people in our corner of the fandom would just absolutely burn things down because <laughs> God, we've been waiting for so long, and it's really and and we've we've been through so fucking much more than waiting so long. God, this is something that I get like I'm I I I try to be so supportive of Carol fandom. I really do even if parts of them are really nasty to us. Because, like you said, I'm, I'm honestly really supportive of anything anybody wants to write. Like, if you want to explore any pairing, go for it. I'm fine with it, and I even encourage it. But people say, oh, it's been so long. Shut up. <laughs> Just <laughs> shut up. You have no, no fucking idea how bad it can get. Shut up. But, yeah, I, the idea of it taking a whole other season to even get them to that point, because, I mean... You see no evidence in Alone that they're moving in that direction quickly. I think you're seeing mm -hmm. evidence that it's being set up. But if they had stayed together, I think that it would have it would have potentially taken another season of of them kind of being together for it really to get to that point because everything is clearly still so tentative. And mm -hmm. I mean, just to jump all the way back to a hundred million years ago when we were talking about physical touch. One of the things that I absolutely love about how he's touching her is that it's not just it's not just because he clearly it's not just because by that point he understands that she likes being touched and he's trying to make her happy. And it's not just because when he picks her up, he's trying to make her laugh. It's 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 also because I think he's trying to figure out how to do it. I think he doesn't even know. And he's seeing her mm -hmm. as somebody who is receptive, potentially to him just kind of learning how to do it and maybe somebody who would be receptive to him screwing up and I think he's so afraid of doing things wrong that he couldn't really do that with somebody else unless he had a feeling that they would be okay with him maybe doing something that wasn't entirely correct just out of sheer ignorance oh god you're gonna make me cry that's funny I'm sorry. I, I never I never thought I never thought of it that way I always thought of it as like you know like an act like sort of like an affirmation that they're both there they both exist that they're together which makes their separation all the more, you know, horrible is the fact that, you know, he can't touch her anymore. He can't, God. you know, have this physical evidence that she's there and alive and in the world. And, you know, if we want to talk about Coda, that's what makes the, you know, secondary bridal carry in Coda so much worse, is that it's a perversion of that reassurance that will hopefully be rectified as soon as possible. <laughs> but. I don't know. I don't I know. know. God, yeah. No, I, I think that that secondary bridal carry was really significant and completely intentional. I don't see how it couldn't be. But, but yeah, it's. I think that the idea that he's learning how to do something at that point is so important. He because yeah, again, like he has no idea how to do any of this. And I think it's that tentativeness and that confusion almost. Although I think it's a really pleasant confusion on his part is one of the things mm. that makes me believe so strongly that his sexual experience is very limited or it's absent. I don't think it's completely unrealistic that he's a virgin. And I think, in fact, Greg Nicotero has maybe said that. 
that he thinks he might be a virgin, which is God. That would mm, I think I that would be that. so interesting, also in terms of masculinity. Because can you think of another situation? I mean, you, you can't think of another situation where uh, relationships have been treated like this with a primary, really attractive male character, but a character who is literally a forty-year-old virgin, where it's not, where it's <laughs> not a joke, where it's not being played. Yeah, for it's not a joke. And that would be, I mean, like, that would be super amazing for me as someone, you know, like, who's questioning my own sexuality and questioning whether, like, do I want to, you know, or, you know, is my sexuality, am I asexual or am I just someone who has not found the right person? Am I going to be someone who's 40 years old and is going through a relationship for the first time? And having that, seeing that represented is so, would be so powerful you know, this like this idea that this man has, you know, he's 40 years old, but he hasn't figured out his own self-identity, his own, who he is. He's still becoming as a person. And I think that's so important for people of any age to see. And the fact that the show is giving that to us as, you know, screwed up as they've, well, not as screwed up, as sort of fraught as they've made it with the way that the whole Beth situation went down. I think up. that that's just so potentially screwed up but we'll be optimistic for the moment and say that it's become fraught that it's just i just think that's so incredibly important and it's given me like that's one of the reasons why i love writing beth and daryl is because like it gives me hope not just for you know the potential of having a healthy relationship where i have no experience in my family of anyone having a healthy relationship with anyone but the fact that you can still find happiness at whatever age no matter what horrible things you've gone through yeah, and I mean, this this is where we could, I think we should wrap this up, like, in, in a couple minutes, but this is where we could spend an entire other half hour, I think, talking about how virginity's dealt with. And about, mm, and about how that gets, not only that gets dealt with in fandom, but how that gets dealt with in culture in general, because I think I've talked about that a ton, because I find it so interesting. But yeah, just the idea that not only would you see him, this is something that I, this is one of the reasons why I really hope that a relationship with them would become sexual or why I love writing him as asexual, but also getting into a sexual relationship that he's not just learning how to be with somebody emotionally. And he's not just learning how to be with somebody in a healthy way, but that in fact, potentially he has no experience regarding sex and he's learning how to do that too. Because again, you never mm. see that with older male characters. You never see them learning how to have sex with somebody else. It just doesn't happen. And even with younger male characters, you know, younger male characters are treated as jokes if they're virgins and they're losing their virginity is always about you know the celebration of it um and it's not about learning about oneself or learning about self-acceptance the way it might be for a female character you know it's not traumatizing in any sense of the word traumatizing yeah. and i think for daryl it would be not in like you know using the word trauma using the word trauma to mean like a definitive break break or a rupture in something like for daryl it would be a trauma to enter a sexual relationship in that sense um, because it's just something that's never happened to him before. And, you know, it's never for men, at least, I don't think the losing of virginity is presented as a rupture of identity in the same way it is for women. Why do you have to set up like another hour? <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking serious. Sorry. Why do you have to do this? 
Well, we'll just have to continue another day. Yeah, then. I think we're going to have to do this again. I don't know if we necessarily could make this a regular feature, just going by schedule, but I think that this has been awesome, and I think we absolutely should do this again. Because I want to talk about virginity. God, can we please talk about virginity? Yes. And I didn't get to talk about psychoanalysis. And I, no, and I'm not... I, I need that in my I'm life. not kidding. Like, I know fucking nothing about psychoanalysis, and that's one of the reasons why I deeply want you to talk about psychoanalysis. Like, I... I'd, I'd, like... The problem with it is I don't even know if I know it, but I don't think even the people who wrote it know what it is. So that's what's amazing about it. Yeah, I mean, like, you could ramble, and I would be fine with that, because I love hearing people talk about something I don't know anything about. That would be great. All right, all right, all right, then I guess we should stop this so you can go on and live the rest of your life. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. This has been not awkward at all and really, really amazing. Thank you for offering. I mean, like, I've, like, you've inspired me to want to try. I actually, like, last week I did a podcast with a friend about Hamilton for a final project. Um, so this is my second podcast experience, but it's been absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much for inviting me. It's been really great. Hi again. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, like I said, that was just so much fun. It was just really great. Something I've been wanting to do for so long. I really hope we get a chance to do it again, because I think that it could not necessarily, like I said, be a regular feature. I don't know if we can do that, but I think that it's just great if it's something we do periodically, because I think that we work well together, and I think that that would be really neat. So I'm going to get to the fic reading now. Again, this is All of Me by Happy Dirty Cookie, and one of the things that I really love about this fic is that it's another one that deals explicitly with the idea of Daryl being asexual in the isolation, in, in terms of romance, in the isolation of sex. And that's just not something people write very much. And I think that it's so cool. I think it makes so much sense for the character. And I think that exploring kind of how that affects the relationship between him and Beth is so neat. And I think this fic does that really well. So I hope you guys enjoy this too. All of Me by Happy Dirty Cookie She thought it might be something like this. After everything between them, everything between him and himself, of course it would be something like that. It was there whenever she touched him, when it was just the two of them, whenever he touched her. He got better at doing that with time, his touches growing bolder, more confident, and more frequent. But it was still always there. It was never about that between them. After he and the rest of them had seen her again on their trip to Hilltop, he hadn't been reluctant in any way in bounding over to her and throwing his arms around her. He'd crushed her to him selfishly, though she'd never hold that act of selfishness against him, and breathed her in like she was air, like he could finally breathe again after all this time. Like he'd been running all that time and could finally suck in those deep breaths of oxygen at last. And of course, she'd hugged him back with every ounce of strength in her muscles, and breathed in his distinctive scent of smoke and leather that she'd never imagined she'd dream about for months without it, even if it hadn't been about that. But the first time she actually realizes it is when they're saying their temporary goodbyes at the hilltop gates before he returns to Alexandria. Just for a couple of days, they say, to sort things out. Of course, he makes a massive deal about leaving her, and she gets it, because she doesn't want to leave him again either. She's not going to leave him. Not again. Not ever. But sometimes things have to be done, and they get that, so they walk to the gates together and stop just outside. 
She knows he can tell something's different about her in the silence as they were walking, and he straight up freezes when she strides close to him and winds her arms around his neck. He goes tense, the sudden passion in her embrace overwhelming, and only just manages to plant a palm at the base of her spine. But still, it's awkward. She thinks she shouldn't, but she still does it. She pulls away from where she's tucked her face into his neck and leans in. Her lips brush his lightly, her eyelids having fluttered shut, and the waves of his trembles shaking against her. She ghosts her thumbs across the stubble on his cheeks as she holds his quaking lips against her own, before eventually pulling away and staring up at him. He looks horrified, like she's just sunk her teeth into his neck and taken a chunk out of him, and it alarms her. His eyes are huge with terror, and he practically flees after she whispers goodbye, and they don't see each other for a few days after that. As hurt as she is over his reaction, it's that moment, right then, that she gets it. It wasn't about that. It was never about that. When she sees him again as he comes striding in through the hilltop gates with Maggie, Glenn, and Abraham, he doesn't look as petrified as he did when she last saw him. But there's still an element of unease in his eyes when they fall on her, and he looks away. She bites her lip and looks at the ground. That night, she sits on the roof of the community's gigantic central house and stares out into the woods beyond the walls. Eventually, the window she came from opens, and a figure comes scrambling out. She doesn't have to turn to see who it is. Daryl maneuvers himself over the red tiles to where she's sitting and seats himself down next to her. They don't talk for a long time, both watching the leaves on the distant trees sway gently in the wind. It's not exactly cold up on the roof, but it's not warm either, and Beth feels goosebumps rising on her arms beneath the thin fabric of her shirt, and she lifts her hands to rub some friction up and down them. Eventually, Daryl opens his mouth to speak. I'm sorry, he says. It's barely a whisper so quiet she could have easily missed it. But she doesn't. It's okay, she whispers back, her own voice equally quiet. It's not, he retorts softly. Shouldn't have to be, it shouldn't, but it is. He looks at her then, his hair falling in his face and nearly covering his eyes completely, but they still poke out from beneath the bangs like bright shimmering stars. She stares back, her own eyes glimmering in the dark, and she forces a smile. I should have known, really, she says, I should have noticed, because you didn't like being touched all that much, and because you didn't want to talk about or do any of the other stuff. I should have just known. It should have been obvious. He looks down at his hands and twists his fingers together, his mouth pressed in a thin line, and she wants to cry. Because this isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't how all those love stories she read used to go, with the guy and the girl finding each other again, despite all odds, with the happy endings and the laughter, and all the love... He ran after a car all night for her, chased it again when he saw it, all the way to Atlanta. And her. She defied death just to be with him again. But it's still not enough, and the biggest thing is that there's nothing either of them can do to make it like that, because it was never going to be that way, no matter what they did. This isn't how it's supposed to be, but it's been clear from the start that this was always the way it was going to go. Inevitable. It's not about that. It never was. So then why does it hurt so damn much? Beth, he murmurs, gaze still locked downward, and she blinks the building tears away. You don't have to say anything, she says gently, earnestly. 
It's not his fault. He didn't choose for it to be like this. He didn't choose to be this way. It's just who he is. And it doesn't change anything, does it? Not really. You don't have to justify your reasons for not wanting that, she says. For not wanting to do any of that. For not wanting to be touched. I like it when it's you, he squeaks, his voice far too small for a man of his appearance. She looks at him. I want that when it's you. I like you to... I just don't want that. I know. He looks at her then, and his eyes are filled with so much hurt, so much of it, and fear, and shame. He's ashamed of the way he is because he can't give her what she wants, and that makes her want to cry even more. I'm sorry, he utters. She reaches into his lap where his fingers are wound together and squeezes his hand. He doesn't jump like when she kissed him, and lets her pull his hand out onto his thigh and intertwine their fingers together, like that time by the gravestone, all those a-whiles ago. Please don't apologize, she pleads. Don't do that. You don't have to be sorry. You don't have to be sorry for anything. It's just the way you are. It's just... It's nothing we can't handle. I want to be something else for you. She feels her heart shatter, just like the top of her skull had as the bullet tore through it. Gripping his fingers as selfishly as he ran to hug her that day, she shakes her head and swallows her tears. You already are. Not the way I wanted to be, he breathes. Not the way you wanted. There's wanting and then there's needing. And I don't need any of that. I just need you. His breathing quickens and she can feel his hand trembling in hers. How did she used to see this man as something so huge, so stable and independent, when he was just this terrified, lonely, small child deep down, something so scared, terrified of doing anything except staying still, and alone? How had she ever seen anything else? And, and that's enough? he asks, and her heart snaps in two again. That's so much more than enough, she breathes. So much more. I lived when a bullet tore through my head and ran hundreds of miles to find you and the others. I found you again, even after all that, and the fact that I get to have this, even despite that, that's more than I ever expected, or deserved, to get. She rubs a thumb along the back of his hand, down to that burned part of the space between his fingers, and doesn't try to stop the tears from tumbling down her cheeks as she smiles. I'm supposed to be dead, and now I get to live. It's not about that. It doesn't have to be, because I have you. I get to be with you again, just being, without all that other stuff. You don't have to have sex with someone to love them, Daryl. You just have to be with them. She hears the breath he releases at that and feels his fingers tighten around hers. Are you with me? She asks. The fear is gone from his eyes and replaced by disbelief. Oh. Oh, Beth. Don't you know? Girl, how do you not know the answer to that by now? I guess I just didn't want to draw assumptions that might be upsetting in the long run. It ain't an assumption when it's literally as fucking obvious as day. Beth's smile widens. Then make it more obvious. He sighs softly. Beth, everything you said, everything you did, what changed your mind? You know. What? No. It's you, he breathes, and a thick tear rolls down her cheek as the word leaves his lips and dampens her chin. Oh. 
It was all for you. And then she can't hold it back anymore. I love you. Another sharp breath from him. I love you, and I don't need what you think I do. I just need you because I love you. All of you. Even the part of you that doesn't want that other stuff. I love all of you. He seems to be in shock. She still can't imagine why he is. All of me? He shudders, and she breathes a sob at the question. Lifting her other hand, she brushes the dark clumps of hair out of his eyes and flashes another radiant smile, just like the one she had amongst all the candles and frosty cola bottles. All of me loves all of you. It was never about that, but in the end, it doesn't need to be. God, yeah, wasn't that sweet? Oh my god, the end of that just gives me so many feelings. I mean, the whole thing gives me feelings, but I mean, the ending is just so acceptance and just, I mean, I think probably it makes sense that Beth has not encountered the idea of asexuality. She might not even know the term, but I also think that it makes total sense that she would just kind of see that in Daryl in kind of a, oh, moment, you know, and that she would be maybe a little confused, maybe a little disappointed if she feels like she's not going to be getting something she had hoped for from him, but also just completely accepting. And I absolutely love that depiction of how this might go between them. So, yes, thank you so much, Happy Dirty Cookie, for writing that. Your name is so funny. I love saying it. It's, it's great. Yes, I'm going to bring this episode of the podcast to close. I already have an idea of what I want to do for the next episode. And I'm kind of going back a little bit to some of the unpleasantness that we had not that long ago in this fandom, which, I mean, I'm not going to talk in detail about it because I honestly kind of don't want to anymore. I'm kind of sick of it and I don't really want to discuss it. But one of the things that it really made me take a step back and think about is why I love this fandom in the first place. Because when something happens with this fandom that upsets me, one of the things I have to kind of do is take stock regarding why I'm even here. You know, what is it about this fandom that's keeping me here? And there are so many things about it that are so great. And I think that I really want to be focusing on the positives. I think that it's this fandom means so much to us. These characters mean so much to us. This relationship means so much to us. And I think it's a really good idea to kind of think about what is it meant to us? What is it brought to our lives? What has it done for us? And why are we here? Because, I mean, CODA fucking happened. And it's been a year and a half. And we're still here. Do you know how amazing that is, you guys? And a lot of us are not Team Delusional or Team Defiance. A lot of us, you know, believe that Beth is dead. And the fact that those people are still around and are still producing stuff, are still writing fic, are still making fan art, are still just doing meta, are still, you know, active in any respect. That's just so great. I absolutely love it. It's one of the things that makes me so happy to be in this fandom, that makes me feel so blessed and so fortunate that I was able to find it. So something that I'm really hoping to be able to do is to talk about that next time. Not just talk about it 
for me, but also be able to speak to it from other people's perspectives. So, you know, what has what has this fandom meant to you? What do these characters mean to you? Why are they so important? Why are you still here? We're given that we've basically gone through the worst thing that any fandom around a ship can possibly go through. One half of it died in the stupidest possible way, and we're still here. So talk to me about that. Tell me why you're here. Tell me why you came to this in the first place. Something that I've heard from a number of people is that this has actually provided them in various ways for various reasons with some degree of healing, and I think that's so great. Uh, So send me messages about that. Again, messages on Tumblr. Tumblr Messenger is great. My inbox is great. Whatever way you want to get in touch with me. If you want to get in touch with me via email, my email is uh, sunnyds, S-U-N-N-Y-D-S at gmail.com. I'm always fine to be contacted via email. I don't find it creepy. My email's on my website, my professional website, so it's fine. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that. I don't know exactly when I'll be able to record the next episode, but uh, my summer right now is pretty open, so it probably won't be that long. I'd love to get back to a bi-monthly schedule. Um, can you hear that bird? That bird is fucking loud, and that bird's been going for a while. And there's no way for me to get rid of it in post-production, so I'm being accompanied by a bird here. Unless you can't hear it, in which case I'm talking about a bird that you can't hear. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah... I will see you guys next time. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm so happy to be back. I miss this so much. And you're all wonderful. And I'm rambling about how wonderful you are. But what a great thing to ramble about. Yeah, I'll see you next time. Bye.